Well, please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to Luke's Gospel, the Gospel according to Luke. We continue to our exposition of this Gospel, and we pick up again at uh, chapter 8. Uh, we will uh, consider verses 38 through 40, uh, though I'll begin the reading back at verse 26 for context. And what we're going to do is we're going to return to uh, the man who was possessed by a legion. And uh, you saw him last time we were here in his pitiful condition, utterly bound to Satan, but praise God, utterly freed effortlessly by the power and compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw that he was a picture of our own captivity to sin until the Lord Jesus Christ came to save us and free us. We left him as a new creature in his right mind, clothed at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus also gives him a command, and that is what we consider this morning. So we pick up at Luke 8, verse 26. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. These are God's holy words, inspired and infallible. Let's hear them as the word of God. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over uh, against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he brake the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there an herd of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also, which saw it, told them by what means he was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear, and he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, as we come to the preaching of the word, would you bless your servant who preaches with the Holy Ghost that he may preach this word faithfully, faithfully, and that you would be in it, and that the people of God here would see something of their Jesus And that those who have never seen Jesus before, that they might have their eyes opened to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. 
O God, do this by causing the man who preaches to decrease, that it may be Jesus Christ who increases. Father, there is such warmth and compassion and care in this text. And so would you bring that out in the preaching of the word? And would you give the heart of the man who goes at the Lord's command to be in all of our hearts as well? And so, Father, that you would be glorified and that your people would do that which is pleasing in your eyes. We pray that unto me, who am the least of all saints, the grace would be given that I should preach among your congregation the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't think it is a stretch to say that most Christians in the United States, most evangelical Christians, are private Christians. They do not share their faith with others. They will not witness to others of Jesus Christ. And the devil is probably quite pleased by all of this, of course. In fact, what has the world, if the devil's pleased, what has the world taught us? That to speak to our friends and family about religion is actually an uncouth thing, right? They tell you two things not to have at the dining table. It's both uh, religion and politics, isn't it? Perhaps two of the most important things. The most important thing and something very important you're not to speak of. Of course, the devil laughs at this kind of thing. And the world is quite pleased. The world says religion ought to be a private matter. Believe what you want, whatever you want, which you're also seeing is uh, not really true. That's a facade. Believe what you want. Just don't tell me what to believe. Right? Leave me alone. And sadly, by and large, Christians have imbibed and believed that kind of ungodly lesson. Rather than see that the scriptures show us that Christians are a witnessing and evangelizing people. And you think of this, right, especially in context of this man, but put yourself into it. Having had the pity and mercy of God, the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians must say, how can I stay silent about my Jesus, my Savior? How can I withhold from uh, saying and showing forth the glory of Jesus Christ? And how can I withhold him from other needy souls who are as I once was? I have received such mercy, and do I not care that others do not have that mercy unless Christ is witness to? And has my Lord not said, freely ye have received, so freely what? Give. You have received freely, believer, and you are to freely give what you have received. You have gotten salvation at no cost. The only cost is a terrible cost, but it was not one you bore. It was one your Savior bore for you. Freely you have been given, and freely you are to give. And I think additionally, sad to say, Reformed churches like ours can take a wrong view of God's sovereignty at times, using his sovereignty as sort of something that you retreat behind as an excuse to not speak of Christ to others. In fact, your flesh perhaps uses the sovereignty of God and salvation to say, well, you don't really need to talk about Jesus. If Jesus will save somebody, he will save somebody. But you don't understand the means that Christ uses is our witnessing. He uses the word of God especially. So, The Christian's witness is to tell others of Jesus, both by ordained men preaching, which is what I'm doing right now, 
but also by the witness of the ordinary believer, one-on-one or in perhaps small groups. And it's that kind of ordinary witness distinct from the official preaching of the gospel, which is in view of our text right now, and that is the theme we will consider. And so our theme is the ordinary witness of the saved soul, the ordinary witness of the saved soul, and we'll consider that theme under three heads, and I apologize, but your bulletin is wrong with the headings. Those are from last Lord's Day, and so you might want to listen to this. The three headings are, first, the saved soul's desire, second is the saved soul's duty, and third is the saved soul's destiny. Desire, duty, and destiny. First, the saved soul's desire. Now, I very greatly appreciate the way Luke lays out his gospel, and this text is a contrast in many ways that he masterfully lays out. There's a great contrast, you may have heard it, that is found between the saved sinner and the unsaved sinner. The unsaved sinners in verse 37, then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. They say, go away to Jesus. Then in verse 38, though, is the saved sinner. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him what? That he might be with him. Do you see this great contrast? Both are begging Jesus, but the unsaved beg Jesus, leave us alone, go away. But the saved beg Jesus, don't send me away, let me stay with you. Jesus divides all men in this way. To one group, his people, he is the saver of life unto life. And to the other, the goats, he is the saver of death unto death. And as you think on the difference and distinction here, I think all you have to do is remember and recall the man's life before Jesus. Don't you remember it? He was naked. He cut himself. He wailed. He screeched in agony. He was out of his mind, the text says. He lived among the dead in the tombs. No one was there with him other than to chain him up when his chains broke. But then the loving kindness and compassion of the Lord appeared to him one day. And of course, having been freed from all that misery, why would he want Jesus to leave? Why would he want his Savior to go? And I hope that's all of you who believe on the Lord. You have seen your own misery, your own captivity to sin and darkness. And then Jesus comes and he comes to free you. He saved you completely and he gave you faith to believe. And you knew no works of your own. You were like this man who was chained up. No works of your own could have ever saved you. There was no atonement you could bring. Only Christ could heal and save. And so what do you say knowing all that? Isn't it natural to the born-again heart? I will cling to my Lord and my God who is so kind and loving to a sinner who is without hope. You marvel. This Jesus came to save sinners, even me. Yet why do the townspeople want Jesus gone? It's a strange thing, I think, to believers to say there's a group of people who say, go away. Why? They saw his miracle. He freed a demon-possessed man from many years of bondage, from total captivity. Should have been a glorious thing. But word went out, and people from round about came to see this man reborn. But they feared, 
They did not praise the Lord. They wanted Jesus to leave them. Why? In Mark's account, it's more plain, though I think you can read between the lines here in Luke, in Mark 5, 16-17. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil. And here's the interesting phrase. And also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their lands. There was a concern for their livelihood. The swine, 2,000, you remember, were plunged into the lake. They were gone. What they could only see is that this Jesus, he affects my commerce. He affects my livelihood. That's who their real gods were. So they say, go away, Jesus. Who knows how many of our herds will be destroyed by you? But what did they miss? What did they miss? Here was a child of God who was tormented for so long and yet was freed from his captivity to his demons, from uncleanness, now clothed with the righteousness of Christ and in his right mind for the first time in in, in years. But their concern was on 2,000 pigs and their own livelihood. But Christ's concern was where? On the man. You know, Jesus loves the animals he made, and we must too. The righteous has a care for his animals, the proverb says. But here's the thing. One man is worth more to Jesus than all the animals on the earth. Because men are made in his image. But more than that, oh, what a thing it is that men who are his own sheep, his own elect, are not worth more than all the lives of all the animals, but are worth his own life, Jesus Christ's life, that he would lay down his own life for them. That's how worthy his people are to him. Not because they have worth in themselves, but because he loves them so. He would even lay down his life for them. And that's really the touch point for our theme on witnessing. We witness to men because they matter to him. Even if it means here, right, a sacrifice on our part. You know, if you had lost 2,000 pigs, or perhaps that means you had lost your entire bank account, but you saw this one man saved because of it, what are you to do? Say, Jesus, get away from me. Or are you to fall on your face and praise and bless God for this Jesus? You see, you know, you might think of pigs and you might think, well, that's them there. How silly. But really, the question is, when it comes at a sacrifice to yourself, if all that you had was taken away, but Jesus would use that to save a single soul, would you be happy? Or you'd say, just enough, Jesus, just go, please do your miracles elsewhere. So we witness, even if it means sacrifice, maybe because we are Christians who follow the Lord, right? Maybe we will never be as wealthy as our neighbor. Maybe we won't have as much time for entertainment and amusement. Maybe we won't even have as many friends. Whatever it is that we give up and sacrifice, we make the calculation, we will show compassion to men for the sake of their eternal souls and the glory of God. But I do want to speak to the unbeliever for a moment before we leave the unbelievers behind. I want you to think on the Jesus that you reject. Right? Why are you rejecting him? What is the purpose? Is it for the sake of the world? Here, 2,000 pigs, quite a, quite a, a, a group of animals, quite a bit of wealth back then. But isn't that a foolish thing? To give up Jesus, to say, go away. You reject this most precious Savior who is God in the flesh, 
who came to free sinners from sin and damnation out of, as you see in the text, pity and compassion. Many of you will say, I I want to go, I want to, I wish to go to heaven, but you will not come to Christ for salvation. You might even say anything but that. Go away, Jesus, and, and stop preaching, pastor, on this. But really, I would say, even your own conception of heaven, right? What is it? It's probably just a nicer version of this world. You know, you probably just think it's a place that has maybe a bit more ease and you don't have to work. But I have to ask, does your conception of heaven have Jesus in it? Does your conception of heaven have Jesus? Is there a place for Christ in your heaven? Well, in heaven, what you have is Christ seated on his throne, friend. That is the place of Christ in heaven, seated on the throne. And if you will not receive him, if you will not adore him today, why would you be happy there eternally before the throne of the Lamb? That is why the other place, the place of fire, is prepared for the devil and his angels. It is where those who say, depart from me to the Lord, will go. And he will say to them, justly so, depart from me, I never knew you. Their condemnation, as the Bible says, is just. They don't want God. Why should they have heaven? It's really that simple, isn't it? To those who reject their creator, to those who defy their lawgiver, to those who reject the only Savior who came to save them from their sins, a Savior who has freely set himself before you now, saying, take of me freely, take me as a free gift, take me by faith and live. But if you say to this Jesus, go away, what is the just response that sinners think is so unjust? His response is just depart from me then. Just go away from me then. The only source of blessedness, the only fountain of life and happiness. Take your eternity then away from me where there are no blessings to be found. But if you have resisted and rejected the Savior all your life even, he calls you now. He calls you now in the preaching of the word. Your rejection of Christ does not have to be final. It does not have to be forever. If you come to the Savior, he said to all of you, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Come find rest for your souls. Why reject Jesus? Why say go away when he can give you rest? He will set you free from your sin and misery and eternity of wrath. Oh, this Jesus says, I suffered in the sinner's place. Trust in me and be saved to the uttermost. Have Christ, have life. He will put you in your right mind. The Bible asks, and this is the question, right? You are not in your right mind if you hear the Bible say, why should you die when you can have Christ and you say, go away, Christ. I don't want it. don't want you. Call on him now. But then... You who are saved with new hearts, you ought to have the heart of this man, shouldn't you? Where he is at the feet of Jesus, this ought to be your desire, believer, shouldn't it? What do you think, what do you do at his feet? And you need to think on two broad areas here. One is worship, and the other is discipleship or learning. At Christ's feet is the place of worship. You see throughout the Bible, right? Men fall down at his feet in worship. 
So whether in secret, in your family, or in corporate worship, you find yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ when you are a worshiper. When you are in the secret place every morning and evening at home, you come to his feet. Right? It's not just my devotionals abstractly thought. Now I'm coming to the feet of Jesus. Every Lord's Day, as today, in the morning and evening service, you are coming to the feet of Jesus. It ought to be the place you desire to be. If you think on worship in that way, you will always be in the place of worship. Right? I'm not just coming to hear some man speak some words, to give me a lecture on a particular interesting topic in the Bible. No, I am coming to bow down before the feet of Jesus. I praise him. I pray to him. I come to hear him speak to me. And that's an act of worship too when I receive it as the word of God. Second, at the feet of Jesus is the place of learning. It is the place of the disciple. And the rabbis would have their disciples sit at their feet. And so when we come to learn of the Bible and of its God, its Savior, and its doctrines, we come to his feet. What I would say is, in this life, never, ever be satisfied of what you know of the Lord. You have to be a lifelong student of him. Only the proud are unteachable. You know, it's, as the saying goes, something like this, right? Know-it-alls know very little. That's really the, the, the thing. The more you know of the Lord the more you know how little you know of him. Yes, and I praise God, right, that the youngest Christian in the faith, even our boys and girls here, like the former demoniac, you know, he didn't have a theological education before he is sent out. But, you know, even the youngest of us in the faith know that faith in Jesus has saved them completely. And that is enough, right? Praise God. But it really isn't enough in another sense. We ought to be ever at his feet. You know, all believers can say with the blind man who Jesus healed, you know, what is the one thing he knew? One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. But that's just the beginning, right? That's just the beginning for the man. In this life, the believer must spend it getting to know more and more who Jesus is. To exclaim as the Queen of Sheba did to uh, Solomon, right? The half of it was not told me. Every day. That ought to be the way you consider your Lord. As you open the scripture, as you read books that exposit the scripture or whatever else, the half of it was not told me. And that's how eternity will be as well. Day by day, the half of it was not told me. And one here greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus ought to be the greatest object of our adoration, affections, and learning. And when the soul is in its right mind, it will find itself at Jesus' feet. And here's the thing, if you want to be a good witness for Christ, those who are constant at his feet are the best witnesses of all, right? They adore their Savior, they worship their Savior, they think on him often, their meditations of him are sweet, right? And then how can a soul not gripped with Christ then not go out and and, and speak to all that they know, like that Samaritan woman, right? Come, see a man, Come see Jesus who, who has told me uh, amazing things both about myself and God. That is what a good witness is like. And they not only speak those things abstractly, right? Because their meditation of the Lord is sweet. They're spending time in worship. They're speaking these things from the heart. They have a true knowledge, an infectious uh, Holy Spirit given adoration and affection for the Lord. Not only can I explain the way of salvation, but I can tell you what great things the Lord has done for me. And that leads us to our next heading, which is the saved soul's duty. 
In verses 38 to 39, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. The man begged Jesus that he might stay with him. Talked about that a little bit. I'll talk about that a little bit more. And how natural that is, right? Having come out of such great darkness living in the tombs. You know, in Christ, heaven was open to him, and he was in Christ's great light and love. He had gone from death and darkness to light and love. And so, of course, they want to, he wants to stay with him. Even so, Jesus sends him off. He said, return to thine own house and show what great things God hath done unto thee. In other words, here it is, be a witness for me, right? Simply tell others what great things I have done for you. And there's a general principle even behind that, right? Salvation leads to worship. We've thought about that in our worship series, that the aim of salvation is worshiping God, because we won't worship God unless we are saved. And as we worship, right, the end product of that in this life is that we go and we witness or we serve the Lord. How can you not worship God and then not have a desire to serve Him in other ways? You see, we who are saved, we, we, we come to Him in private and public worship, but then we want to also go out and speak a word about what Jesus has done for us to those around us, and that is called witnessing to the Lord. We are his witnesses, Acts 1, verse 8. And so the man was told, go home and tell your friends about what the Lord has done. Mark five nineteen adds more clarity to his command. And I, I love the expansion a bit in Mark. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And here's this extra phrase that Luke didn't capture here. And hath had compassion on thee. And hath had compassion on thee. Between Luke and Mark, I think you're going to learn how you might be a witness. Let's take this apart. The man was first told to go home to his friends and family and tell them what Jesus had done for them, for him. He doesn't say, well, what I need you to do is I need to get on a boat and go and tell foreign lands, right? You need to be a foreign missionary straight away, or you need to hit the streets next week, right, and go and do some sort of open-air preaching or something. No, he says, go tell those in your circle. Tell those in your own immediate household. And there's a pattern of this in the Bible I think you have probably picked up on. Andrew tells his brother, Peter, we have found the Messiah, right? He goes home. And of course, if these are the people you love the most, these are the people you're going to be most excited to show Jesus to, right? The Samaritan woman, I've already mentioned her, tells the men of her city, come, see a man, is not this the Christ? And here Christ tells the former demoniac, go home and tell thy friends of me. So you don't need to be a preacher. These three did not preach Christ. They witnessed of Christ. They told those that they know of the Lord. Go tell your friends then. Go tell your family. Go tell your co-workers and so on. There's no need for a pulpit. There's no need for a bullhorn. You simply... Witness to Christ, to those in your circles. And what does it consist of? It says here, tell what the Lord has done for thee. And Jesus calls them not just what the Lord has done for thee. Do you see what the words are? What great things the Lord has done for thee. Believer, has the Lord done great things for you? Has he? Has he done great things for you? 
He absolutely has. Every believer can say, the Lord has done great things for me. What are they? Do you know? He asks, what great things have I done for thee? How would you respond to the Lord? What do you say? See, witnessing begins here by knowing what great things the Lord has done for you. Otherwise, you're a terrible witness, aren't you? Terrible. If you don't even witness to your own soul what God has done. If you don't know, how can you witness to others when you won't witness to your own self? Sometimes believers will say, my witness is not as spectacular as another. You might say, pastor, this man was a demoniac. What a great witness he has. He probably went out. He probably still has the cut marks all over his body. And people who knew him were probably also coming before and saying, this man was freed of devils. But you say, my witness, it's not so exciting now, is it? That's where you're a wrong believer. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. And that's why when I preached on this text before, I drew the connection to you by way of Ephesians, didn't I? Because for you, for me, for the demoniac, Mary Magdalene, or Paul, the Lord has done the same great thing to save us from our sinfulness and God's wrath. The captivity we had to our sin and all our sin as black and dark and grotesque, right? It does not matter that you were not a, dr- a druggie or a prostitute or a demoniac. The least of your sins was evil, made you liable to eternal hellfire, And none of us could free ourselves from sin's dominion and bondage. All of us, all of us who believe, have experienced and known the loving kindness of God that has come to us by His Holy Spirit. And we have known that it is a free gift, pure, unmerited, unearned grace. He touched your heart. He opened your eyes. He made you a child of God most high when you were rebellious. He made you an heir of all that is his by a testament which is made in what? His own blood. He gave you the right to call God Abba, Father, when you had the devil as your father. And it was all what? His compassion on you. His love exercised in pity. Can all of you not say, Have all of you not said, maybe you haven't. Can all of you not say, come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Psalm 66, 16. But in all of that then, and this is where I think we get our witnessing wrong, we're not telling then some great story about ourselves, are we? You're giving a personalized accounting of the gospel. You are saying specifically of what the Lord has done for your own soul. And so what that means is you're not just telling some experience you had. You're using the scripture because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You interweave the scripture into your own witness however you can because your experience must have a basis in fact. Lots of people, like I say, experience things, but your foundation is here in the word of God. That God has said these things. And look, look at what he has done. What he has said he would do. So you might 
bring out some scriptures. Let me just give you a few that you might use in witnessing. These are some very basic scriptures, boys and girls, but are really key and, and paramount. And you can use these and you can witness to any person, any soul on the earth. Romans 3.23, right? You might say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what do you say? You don't say this like, hey, you know what? Everybody has sinned. No, you say, I sinned, just as the text says. I have sinned and I have come short of the glory of God. And you can even then personalize that, right? I I sinned in these ways and I did these awful evils. And they may not even sound evil to you, but they are evil in God's eyes. You can speak of sin's penalty. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve. This is what I deserve, right? You don't just say, this is what all men deserve. I deserved an eternity of death. But Jesus came by His Spirit and He saved me. And He showed me the grace of the Gospel as Romans 5.8-10 says, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, see, while we were yet liable to death, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by His life. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That's why I now joy with joy inexpressible. Christ died to save me, showing the love of God, as we heard last week in Romans 8.32. Jesus loved me. God loved me. The Father loved me. Jesus saved me. I was once headed to hell, but now I am sent by him to heaven. And what did I do to receive his compassion? Did I earn it? Possible, impossible. Did I live, did I live a righteous life? You can say, I, I didn't try to live a righteous life to claim it because that was impossible too. I received it as a free gift through faith. It was all of grace to me and it must be for you too. He promises in Romans 10 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You might say as so many have said, and you might have said, and I even doubted that, like, could that be true of me with all of my sins? But you say the assurance came to me in Romans ten thirteen that his compassion is expansive for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I see myself as a whosoever and you ought to see yourself as a whosoever as well. No one is excluded, not even me, not even you. See, all you really need to know to witness, you know, sin, damnation, salvation, grace through faith, it, it's all of Jesus, right? And that's why you say salvation is of the Lord, and you point them to him. As Jesus told the former demoniac, he hath done great things. What great things the Lord hath done. Boasting is excluded, isn't it? Tell what great things the Lord hath done for thee and had compassion on thee, and that you are not going to find in any religion on the earth. That is utterly foreign to most people. When you come to them and talk about religion, they have no clue, no clue that that is the gospel by and large. But you need to personalize the scripture by your own personal experience of the truth. Experiential religion, as we meditated on, is taught throughout the Bible. Right, It's not just that Christ came to save sinners. 
It's not that Christ loves sinners, but that Christ has loved me, the sinner, and laid down his life for me, is what Paul says. Paul personalized the gospel. And what did he say in 1 Timothy 1.13? We didn't read it so long ago in our sequential readings. That he was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He doesn't just say, men are persecutors, men are blasphemers, men are injurious, and men can receive mercy. He says, I, I am a persecutor, I am the chief of sinners, but I, praise God, have received mercy. Well, maybe you encounter a great sinner when you witness and they don't understand this idea that the least of your sin, even what the world calls a white lie, right, makes you liable to eternity of hell. Maybe they're ensnared in drugs and prostitution, who knows what else. And they might say, they might look at you and they say, well, especially for maybe some of the young people here who've grown up in the church, some of us have not been so blessed, right? We've come out of a life of great misery outside of Christ's courts. But maybe they look at you and they look at you and you seem to have it all together and they say, well, maybe this is true for you, fine. But what of me? I'm just so much more gone, so much more gone than you. What do you do? Well, the word of God is where you go. Show them this former demoniac, right? Show them Paul. Show them the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 that we considered not long ago. Those saints, though dead, still witness. They still witness and they speak a word to those who can't believe that they can be saved. Return to Paul's witness in 1 Timothy 1. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Drive this faithful saying to them. That's why it was almost like an early creed that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's the saying they need. You need to take Paul's own witness that the worst of all men can receive mercy in Christ. Now, for some encouragements, believer, because I think you are often, as I have been, intimidated to speak of Christ to others, and maybe more so to friends and family than others, you need to refuse to be intimidated to witness for the Lord. You know, the devil loves to plaster your mouth. He really does. And what I... It's so interesting is, you know, now that we've done for, for quite some time now public witnessing, and many of you have come, you know, as, as I preach or we go door to door and, and, and you all go and speak a word to those in need, is that you all, I think, of one accord will say, it is not as intimidating as my flesh made it out to be at first. Not at all. And the directive in 1 Peter 3.15 is very simple. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meekness and fear. Now, this man received great hope in Jesus. And all that Jesus wanted him to do or told him to do is to speak of his hope with meekness and fear. Meekness, so I think for our time we need to understand this. Meekness, not haughtiness, not with pride. It was not me who discovered Christ. It is Christ who discovered me. He left the 99 to search me out. If he did not, I was lost. There's no pride in me. There's no pride in me that I know Christ and you don't know Christ. Right? 
And that's where sometimes we can begin. I know Jesus. I'm smart. I have figured this out. I know my Bible, and you don't. No, you say, if it weren't for Christ opening my eyes, I would be just as blind and lost as this my neighbor. Meekness. And when you fear God, you will not fear man. And he will go with you in this. You have Christ's pledge. I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And what was the use? Be strong and of a good courage. Fear God and you will never fear man. That is perhaps one of the most helpful little bits of doctrine that you can know for the entirety of your life. Fear God and you will never fear man. And you will do what is right in God's eyes. I fear in this that the professional apologists have done a great harm to evangelism. Really do. They make you think what? That witnessing is argumentation and contention, which it is not. Not ordinarily. It is simple. It's a declaration of the truth of the gospel and what Jesus has done. You go witnessing by knowing the Lord is sovereign. And he opens both doors and hearts. You know, one of the most interesting things is you, you think like something like door-to-door knocking, right? And I'm not saying this is what I'm, is in view here, witnessing. I'm just using this as an example. You would think, right, because if you're like me, you don't open the door for anybody really, right? Uh, certainly not when a couple guys or whatever come up to the door. But you know, our hit rate when we go door-to-door is so incredibly high. And it's staggering. But why is that? It's because the Lord opens the door. It's the Lord who opens the door. And if we would have that understanding, right, where they may not open the door for a door-to-door salesman, but praise God they're opening the door for us when we have a Bible in our hand, I think you would be encouraged that it is the Lord who opens the door, and it's the Lord who opens the heart, and he goes with you. What happens if you knocked on the door and you saw Satan himself standing there? You have nothing to fear. 1 John 4, 4 says, You're of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus told disciples, don't fear when they drag you before rulers. Why? The Holy Ghost will fill your mouth. In other words, you can think of it this way. If you will go for me, I will go with you. It's really that simple. He promised it, and he has always done it for me and for you who have gone out. And you must speak to others, right? Speak. The Lord says, tell your friends. Tell. The gospel is not communicated with the manner of your life. No one wants to hear, now mind what I'm saying, no one wants to hear the gospel from a hypocrite, right? So live a godly life, of course. But maybe that's the entree, their interest into why you are so different than all the others that they know. But you must speak. You must tell. You cannot keep your mouth shut. Even the goodness they perceive in you, and this has happened to me, and I've worked in the secular world. They might say, why don't you do this or do this or the other thing? You say, well, that's the Lord's work in me. That's the Lord's work in me, not my own. Even that's a witness, isn't it? But then next, you know, as you have to open your mouth to speak of the gospel and what Christ has done, remember this, and this is very helpful when you couple this with the fear of God. You witness foremost for the glory of God. We've said that many times. You say, salvation is of the Lord, so he will get the glory. Right? 
Our witness becomes very light and easy when it becomes less about, I must have this person come to the Lord and I must say all the very right things so it'll happen. And instead rests in what? I am come to magnify the name of the Lord. I have come to show all men what great things the Lord has done. If they are saved, they are saved. But I will bless the Lord by making sure that all men know what he has done for my soul. Do you see what a change there is in the idea of witnessing? When it is witnessing, that's why it's witnessing for Christ. Yes, we pray that people would come to know the Lord through that, but what a thing it is to let everybody know what great things Jesus has done for you and for all men who would believe. Is that not worth shouting about, really? Does he not deserve that praise and glory? You see, we we don't think of it in the right way. We are witnesses of Christ. And then you will say, let them mock what I say. Let them laugh at me. Let them revile me, whatever. I will witness of the glory and grandeur of my precious Jesus. Do it for his sake. Do it that he would be magnified. Do it that his name would be lifted up. And you have to ask, all of us have to ask the question, who else is going to do it in our circles? Could you imagine if every Christian spoke to others of how great things the Lord had done for them? of his love and compassion for sinners on the road to hell, that all men in our circles would know it, whether they will believe it or not. I thought on that, you know, because for about 30 years of my life, right, I didn't know Christ. Growing up, my impression, I had Christian friends, and this text really grieved me. I thought about myself too. But growing up, I had the impression that Christians were moralists. I... It was only until I was in my late 20s, I think, that somebody mentioned grace to me. And I had no idea that my Christian friends, and I trust this is true, saw themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. And worse than that, I had no idea I needed a Savior. I wish they had told me sooner. So, though the glory of Christ is foremost, right, and... and, uh, could have glorified Christ in that. Maybe I wouldn't have believed it, but at least they would have witnessed to what Jesus had done. But that said, that the glory of Christ is foremost, you still do have to look on men with compassion too. It's both. It's not either or. It's both. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? Have you forgotten it? Luke fifteen twenty. But when he, the prodigal, was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had what? Compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So this is how Jesus looks on the crowds, isn't it? With compassion. Matthew 9.36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And it was for the demoniac. The Lord Jesus had compassion on him, and so he came to free him. You are to reflect the Lord's compassion to you, right? Do you believe? Let me step back. Do you believe he has been compassionate to you, believer? Do you believe he has been oh so compassionate to you? You are to reflect that compassion to others, which is why Jesus said in Mark's gospel, the accounting captures it, and what great compassion the Lord hath had on thee. If you know the compassion of the Lord, you would extend it to others. 
And the more you dwell on his great kindness to you, the more you look on your neighbor and say, Oh, I was once so blind. I once reviled God too, but he loosed me from hell and turned my heart to adore him. Compassion, friends. The more you know that the Lord has had compassion on you, the more you think things like this, I had nothing in me for the Lord to show mercy to me. The more you say, I deserve hell and damnation, but Christ saved me anyway. First of all, the better that is for your soul anyway, not just for witnessing, but in every aspect of life. The more that eats away at pride and self-righteousness, the more you will yearn that others would be saved and you would want to see souls one. And you would really grasp what Christ meant when he said, freely you have received freely give you have freely received the compassion and mercy of the lord will you not give it to others as well in a sermon on jeremiah 4:20 spurgeon preached this famous word oh my brothers and sisters in christ if sinners will be damned at least let them leap to hell over our bodies and if they will perish let them perish with our arms about their knees imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves See that madness? It's madness to destroy yourself. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. As the heart of the believer has compassion on others. Christian, there is no such thing as an undercover believer. Right? The Christian makes themselves known as one who follows Christ. Jesus said, you are the what of the world? You're the light of the world. You're not to hide his light. You are to show his light. I hope, maybe this is a bit more personal now, I hope that your friends and family know the reason for the hope you have. I hope your friends and family know why you are sitting in that chair right now. What a terrible thought if your acquaintances have no clue. Can you not tell them, I am a sinner saved by grace? These days, I more and more wish I had heard that from my own friends. Especially, do not shy away from your Christian witness for worldly reasons. Boys and girls, don't hide your light because it is unpopular with your friends. Right? When others mock your Jesus, will you not speak very plainly of your own hope? And how disarming this is, right? You can say things like, why do you mock my precious Savior? He has had compassion on me. He has done great things for me, the sinner. And he can for you as well. I suspect that would probably shut the mouth of most revilers who call themselves your friends or acquaintances or family. Do you have to speak, and this is again where the popular apologists have, I think, have turned us upside down. Do you really have to speak of epistemology and ontology? No. Learn those things. I'm not saying don't. But simply say, all of us can. It's so disarming. He has had compassion on me. Well, the man obeyed. He did not just go to his home. You see what the love of Christ compelled him to do. He went throughout the whole city. And Mark's gospel, I believe he said he went throughout Decapolis. He went everywhere speaking of Jesus. Now, time is a bit short, but let me just say this. There are some who deny that the ordinary believers should witness to others, leaving it just to ministers. That is wrong, because here an unordained man goes speaking of Jesus to all. The distinction to draw is the unordained do not preach, but the unordained 
can witness and speak of Christ to others. And you can do many things. You witness what he has done to your soul, invite them to church. Many of you do that, that they may hear preaching, whether here or at a local gospel preaching church. And it might be worth saying, I think this is important, we are not cultists, we are not witnessing for our church, we're witnessing for Christ. Right? You're not here to sell them on the Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses and others do. We are here to witness for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You show them a local church, but of course, I believe you love your church and you believe in our distinctive principles. Bring them here if you can. But if you are somewhere else on the other side of the country, find them a church that preaches the gospel and says, in the word of God, this is the very word of Christ. Send them wherever they can hear Jesus. Well, as I said, time is short. Let's conclude with the saved soul's destiny. Well, you can see that the Lord has work for his people in this area. Men, women, and children all. Now you might wonder though, and I thought on this, I thought on if I were the man, right? why the Lord sent me away so abruptly? You know, you kind of almost wonder, could you not have kept me by your side just a little while longer? Did the Lord just not want him to be with him? Of course the Lord wanted him to be with him. But friends, It was only a short while away from Jesus, really, at the end of the day, isn't it? Because he's with Jesus now. This time was just a short interlude, so to speak. You remember the Apostle Paul had the very same desire to be with Christ. He knew the man's yearning as much as anyone. What did he say? For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Philippians 1, 23 to 24. It is more needful, friends, for you to be away from his direct presence, the beatific vision, for now, because he has many to show compassion towards. It's more needful for them. You see, this man went out. Jesus had his own ministry at the time, localized on the earth. This man went out. The apostles went out. And we go out by the Holy Ghost's power to witness for Christ. Because there are many that he has to show compassion on. And our labors here for the Lord, away from his direct presence, are but for a moment in the grand scope of eternity. He says, labor not for that which perishes, but labor for that which will endure. Labor, what are you laboring for ultimately? What is that good word you want to hear from your master? What is that word that servants of Christ want to hear when they do come in his direct presence as we undoubtedly know this man heard as well as the Apostle Paul? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. That is also a motive force for your witnessing. To hear a good word from Christ like that. What is that worth to you? And we say, come what may, right? No matter what fruit we see, we have done what we ought to have done. We are unprofitable servants. Time is coming when you will be at Christ's feet forever. Life is short. You will be with him in the blink of an eye, believer. Really is. Your life is but a vapor. To uh, him, right? What is your lifetime? He says to all believers, In essence, right, because to him, uh, a thousand years is as a day, 
And if you say it, think of it that way, in essence, like he said to the thief on the cross, in effect, today you will be with me in paradise. In a very short while, you will be with him in paradise, believer. In the meantime, redeem the time. Serve your Lord well. Yearn that others would know him as well. Spend your life for Christ. Isn't this our principle? For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He doesn't call you to spend all of your time in witnessing for the Lord. You have ordinary vocations in which to serve him, yes. But surely there has to be some time redeemed in this way. I'm well aware that some churches abuse texts like this and heap guilt on you, but the abuse of a duty does not negate a duty, does it? The Christians in the Bible go everywhere telling others of the Lord. They do so cheerfully and joyfully. And at the very least, may it never be said of your closest friends and family that they had no idea that the Lord had compassion on you, a sinner. If they won't hear you, they won't hear it, fine, That's on them, so be it, and weep for them and pray for them. But I'll just leave you with this question. When did you last share Christ? When did you last witness for him? I don't know. You know. The Lord knows. Anyhow, go tell thy friends what great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. You will be with him soon enough. Amen. Please rise for prayer, if able. O Lord, our God, would you cause the motive force for our life to be the glory of God above all, that we would not have the greatest care to be uh, those things that... uh, Moth and rust corrupt uh, things like these pigs who would eventually die. But instead, may our treasure be found in Christ. Would you help us even to have our treasure be immortal souls that will live forever, who will spend all of eternity either in heaven or in hell? Oh God, would you give us a care? Oh God, would you cause us to remember what great love you have shown us, what compassion you have shown us through Jesus Lord, would you cause that to warm our cold heart? Would you cause us to then take that compassion you have shown and reflect it and shine it upon others who are far from Christ? Lord, there are many who were once like us, far from God, haters of God, revilers of God. But if you can turn our hearts, Lord, we know that you can turn any. And so, Father, would you help us to grow in our uh, desire and confidence in simply speaking plain truth from your scripture and help us to all not go away from this place without remembering what great things you have done for the glory of God. If any here do not know Christ, may this be the day they call on the name of the Lord. Move in their hearts, we pray and beseech thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of the word with praise. Psalm 66.